Hi, Frank. How are you doing, Carl? What time you got here? <laughs> huh? I'm delayed a small bit, aren't I? Well, uh, you know, you look at huh? How many? And trout waiting for us. Right. Huh? We're going to catch some. Well, uh, it wasn't good with the last hour. And I don't think we'll get any. Oh, why wouldn't we? We'll huh? get fish. Did you get fish today? We did. We got fish earlier today. Yeah. We had four lovely fish there now coming in. Where were you? We were back uh, out around the Tommies there. Oh, yeah. Yeah, nice, nice. out of the Tommy. And what were they getting them on? And they were getting them on, uh, what, uh, as a matter of fact, I haven't seen one caught for a while on them now, on a claret bumble. Oh. A big claret bumble. And bigger than we normally fish. But there you go, it just works. Very bright for a claret bumble. That's what, there, that's what I was saying. Yeah. You know, but you and I might have doctors differ when patients die, as you know. Come oh. on out here till I teach you a lesson. Right, I'm fishing. looking forward yeah. to that lesson now. Come on, come on. <laughs> Dude. Bring a rod. We're at Greenfields here on the uh, eastern side of Loch Harab, just directly uh, on the western side, then you have Oak Gerard, you know. And we're pushing out here from uh, the Our Lodge, or it, it, it has been renamed, it used to be Our Lodge long ago. It's Austin Kosh Karabe now. And it's the, the local hostelry here that caters for all the anglers in the locality and the locals as well. And this is where it all happening on this side of the lake here. Where the, this is the, the venue where most of the fishing takes place from. You know, there's about a hundred boats uh, uh, normally moored around this, this locality here. Describe the boat to me now that we're about to get into. The boat we're about to get into, it's a Burke boat uh, built by uh, Burks in, in Ballon Road, John Paddy Burke and his, his family, they build them there. It's a fiberglass boat and uh, it has got uh, teak trim on it, teak seats. And it's an 18 and a half foot, usual carob, carob boat. Great little boat altogether, about a five foot two beam. It's a fantastic boat to suit all conditions out here, that all fishable conditions, you know. Describe the conditions tonight, Duncan. Conditions tonight are, well, not ideal, far from ideal. As I just mentioned to Frank there uh, earlier on, that uh, it didn't look to me like an ideal evening. But uh, then again, Frank has a few tricks up his sleeve, and I have a few tricks up my sleeve, and I'm hoping we, we might, when the sun drops a little bit. You see, the angle of the sun is all important to, to, um, to fishing. If uh, the angle is very low, uh, the, the, the fish seem, seem to be find it difficult to, to, to see the fly in the water, and they, they, they won't come to it. So who have we got, we got Frank with us tonight? Who's, who's the boss today? Frank, oh, Frank's the boss. Oh, Frank is the boss. <laughs> there you go, now that's toss up. Who's going to be boss? The boss will be whoever, whoever gets the fish. Well, we'll push out here now and we'll hit out and see what we can do. All set, Frank? Yeah. We're off to uh, the back of Inchiquin out to the Tannies, as they're called locally here, out to the Tannies. And uh, what we really wanted though was a, a hatch of sedge. We got the sedge coming up now, we'd be really in business this evening, but I'm not too hopeful in that very bright sunshine. However, at dusk they may come. And if they do, we'll have fish. And if fish don't come itself, we will have a lovely evening's fishing. Looking directly into the sun, you have the Glan Shore over here, which is uh, uh, over beyond Oak Gerard. 
another very famous uh, fishing spot up along the Glen shore there, particularly for salmon. It's a great lie for salmon along the Glen shore. And then you have directly um, west of us here now, you have Oakterard Bay itself and the islands going into it over there. You have Cusafur and Inishul and um, Inishambo and uh, Rowland inside then. And you have um, uh, all the, the bay, the inner bay at Oakterard itself is in behind that row of islands. And Prison Island down into Ballycurden there. And you see the lighthouse in Ballycurden now. If you just see the sunshine uh, is showing it up. That's one of the oldest lighthouses and the first lighthouses ever. It belonged to the old uh, landlords here. Are you from the area yourself? Or? Originally from Donegal. I'm living here at Hedford for the last 22 years. And I've been fishing Loch Harab since 1963 when I first came out on it. Came out with uh, the late Michael Kavanagh from Anna Down. The Lord be good to him. He was a great angler on the lake. And Michael Kavanagh was the first man ever took me out to Loch Harab in 1963. Uh, now as a, a boatman yourself, uh, you take people out all the time, you, you show them your, you share your knowledge of, of the lake. Uh, when you started fishing, was there a different tradition of the boatman or was it a different role? Oh, it was. It's uh, getting difficult now to get boatmen because uh, in the um, years, the last couple of decades, uh, it's been getting more difficult to get boatmen because, of course, we have uh, traditionally a lot of the uh, fishermen, the old tradition where fishermen are gone and it's difficult to get replacements to that sort of trade because it was a trade that stemmed from unemployment and, you know, people who were unemployed, they gave their services here on the lake and, and uh, they provided a very good service and there were some great characters then among them. You know, the boatman was expected to be a, a bit of a character and, and uh, they, you had some wonderful characters. They knew the lake intimately from end to end and, and uh, boating was their pride and joy, you know. We had the late uh, Jim Monaghan here and in Chikun Island. He was one of the characters and boatmen of this, this side of the lake here. And of course, you had uh, the late Andrew Egan from Inishmacatrier as well. And uh, you had uh, the late Tom McAvady, another renowned boatman on the lake from Inishmacatrier Island. So what makes a good boatman? Oh, what makes a good boatman is the hours he has spent out here <laughs> studying the lake and getting to know it. And of course, tradition. There's a lot of tradition handed on down from uh, one to the other, you know of where fish lie at certain times of the year and the different flies and the different seasons and where to uh, avoid uh, different dangerous bays on a south wind and on a north wind and so on like that. It's all lore like that that makes a good boatman and knowledge of the lake and the elements and the fish and their movements and of course there's also the uh, the fly life and all the aquatic life that goes with it. It's all intertwined. and. So looking at the conditions tonight, uh, Con, uh, what would your advice be now to to Frank here? Who uh, well, maybe... Frank here is uh, he's casting very well, I must say. He throws a good line, but uh, I, 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 he's he's you know he's fishing very fast there now. He catches small fish, really. <laughs> I like to take it slower for the big fellas, you know. Like uh, my time of day now, they the uh, you know take things a little bit easier than Frank does. And, and, the big trout, they love to sneak up on something going slowly. You see, they, they, it's very hard work for them to catch those flies of Franks now. Look, 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 at, the, look at the way he's pulling them in there. You see, I, I take mine nice and gently. And we'll see how it'll go. Well, we're fishing for brown trout. Um, 
A salmon would be a bonus. Um, you can get salmon occasionally on the wet flies on the carob, more in the summer now than this time of the year. But primarily we're, we're looking for, for brown trout, wild brown trout here. Um, my rig is a, an 11 foot 3. It's an 11 foot 3 stage rod. And uh, I have a Alida LC reel on it um, with 35 yards of an intermediate line and about 50 yards of backing. Um, so I'm fishing the intermediate line that takes the flies just subsurface, just a little bit under the, under the surface. Um, I have four flies on. I have a golden olive bumble on, which is one of uh, Kingsman Moore's flies. I have a green peter. I have a small claret dabbler, and I have a green hopper on the tail. And I'm hoping that the trout out here like that menu. But as Con says, it's, it is a bit bright. The conditions aren't ideal. And that's also why I chose the Golden Olive Bumble. What about the, the time of the year, Frank? Well, it were, this is September. Like it, it, it is a good time of year for fishing. Um, fish tend to, to move, move around a bit more this time of the year. They, they, and they tend to feed um, because they're coming into the winter months and coming on to the spawning season. So their target is to build up reserves for the winter and give them energy to spawn if the fish are going to spawn. And what about the, the boatman tonight? I know Con a long time, yeah. Um, Con is, uh, is in, in, in this area over 20 years and I'm over 20 years myself and I'd say I know him from, from, from around that time. Is he a good boatman? Well, we'll see now tonight. It's lovely to be sitting up in the top seat now. I wouldn't have picked this drift myself personally. <laughs> Where do you see now? Where do we, huh? Where do we hit this big fella down here now? And uh, do you hear that? My goodness, no faith already. Did you not know, Frank, that half the battle out here is having faith? Well, I have absolute faith in this drift and, and absolute faith in that I'll get a fish in it. Because otherwise, there's no good in tossing out the line there. You have to have faith in what you're doing, you know. The only thing I haven't faith in is the weather conditions at the minute are a little bit off-putting to fish. Yeah, it's very bright. The sun is absolutely stark, isn't the sky bright, you know? But it's dropping, and uh, hopefully when it gets below the skyline a little bit, we will uh, be into fish. What are the traditions or the taboos associated with uh, with carob or, or with trout fishing? Oh, there are many taboos and traditions and hang-ups among anglers about wearing a particular cap on a <laughs> going out fishing or wearing a particular <laughs> a particular pants even. I have seen fellas in they had their lucky pants with them today, that's why they didn't get fish. And there are lots of taboos and things like that. And of course there's always the uh, the lucky rod that always catches a fish. Every angler realizes, of course, that there's a great element of luck in angling, in that you can have a real duffer come out here and take the biggest fish out of the lake, and the crack anglers on the day mightn't get one at all. We've seen it happening, you know. So that luck, we all realize you can be very skillful angler and all the rest of it, and have up everything that's perfect. And yet someone who has very inexperienced angler can come along and 
do the business on the day. It's just like that, Angley. Is that the beauty of it for you, Con? It is, absolutely. Out here, <laughs> it's a great equalizer. <laughs> Can you describe to us what you're actually doing here, how you're, you're casting and what you're What I'm doing here now is I'm uh, using a, an orange-colored float line and uh, I'm tipping the flies along on the surface through the wave, you know, and um, bobbing them along through the wave and hopefully some trout will spot them and fancy one of them and take it. And I'm fishing with a, an 11 and a half foot uh, rod. Rods have got uh, change, as styles of fishing change and rods change, manufacturers come out with different rods. And when I fished here, first of all, rods were all nine or 10 foot at the most. And now they're up to 11 and a half foot, uh, different styles. I used to fish with a green heart rod and a cane, split cane rod. They were very heavy rods. Believe you me, when you fished a day with one of those, you you knew you were fishing. But um, and the reels were also heavy then. They were usually brass brass reels, and of course they were nearly everlasting. <laughs> that, that's Just the difference. Describe exactly here where you're pulling the line through with your left hand. Into yes, your right I'm side. pulling the left, uh, the, pulling with the left hand, and I'm keeping control of it. It passes through my my uh, right uh, middle finger as well which is around the butt of the rod and that way if a fish strikes I can just in a split second tighten the finger on it and make sure that the hook is set in the fish and you have a better chance when you have full control over the line you have to have full control over it at all times because if you haven't the fish will get free well Frank anything doing? not yet no fun but no no I, uh... Things are very, very quiet over this end of the boat. We need the sun to drop another little bit, I think, you know. Yeah. Um, well, now coming on to the tanny here, Frank. Yeah. I have always spot. risen him here, just yeah. at the edge of the tanny. Oh, I'm working it here now. Yeah. Nice spot for fish. And you can lovely, get a good fish lovely in it too. for a fish, yeah. And not too far in either, no, just no. out off it there, yeah. you know. What's the condition of, of the carb at the moment? Is it in good health? It's in reasonable health, but we can see a deterioration, Michael. You know, there is a deterioration. I have noticed it year by year. There's a deterioration in the quality of the water. You will see more algae on it. And, yeah, we'll see more weed and the weed days. growth is phenomenal. Well, that indicates uh, water enrichment, over enrichment of the water, you know. And we'll see more buzzers, you know, and that's another indicator. Yeah. Um, as we said, like we see the feeding pattern of the trout changing. So all of these things are, are, are indicators. Whereas the water quality is reasonably good, but it, there is a case, you know, there is a concern there, like, you know, and we've all got to be watchful and careful, and we've all got to speak out when, when you have to speak out on these things. Have you put up a claret bumble? No, I didn't. No. no. I'm, I'm sticking to my old favourites now. I, I have that golden olive bumble on. Yeah. I reckon he'd well, I have that. a claret on the tail now. Yeah, that should do, yeah. And uh, I have an olive dabbler on the on the bob, but so far no good. Oh, any minute now, it's a... Are we the losing the light here slightly, or what will happen when it gets the dust the darkness? The sun is dipping. The Please. sun is dipping now behind the, the hills, and it should improve now. The light is improving. Now, the next thing now we want is if we could get a hatch. We've got buzzers moving now this time of night, or we've got sedge, sedge moving. We'd be really in business. That's fly it, life. Fly life, yeah. yeah. It would bring the trout up. 
The trout, are, they conserve their energy very much and they will stay near the food source. And there's a lot of food down there on the bottom. Are they lazy fish? They are, of course. Oh, minimum effort to, to, to attain their objective. And their objective is to feed themselves as well as possible down there. And uh, they will not come up needlessly at some strange looking thing like a fly weeping up passing unless they are already up and at it. If they're up and in business looking for flies, then they'll take our fly. Chances are they'll take it, but uh, when they're down there and don't want to come up, it's very difficult to shift them. They're very set in their ways like that. They have such an abundance of sub uh, surface food down there that in the bottom, you know, it's, it's, it's unbelievable. All the different uh, larvae and all sorts of they have snails that they eat a lot of down there, the, the, the water, freshwater snails and all sorts of larvae and insect life down underneath that they browse away on them. They don't have to come up at all. No fly life yet, Frank. No, I haven't seen don't see a on. fly at all on the water. I was out earlier in the day and I saw a few mayfly and yeah. it's now the 10th of September and yeah. the mayfly should be long gone, but they're not. Oh. Does, does boredom ever come into it, Con? I mean, uh, as, as an angler and also as a boatman, if you have oh, no. some people out with you and they're no. not catching, what, what do you it do? It never comes into it out here. You know, the time just stands still out here. We, we forget about time and, and uh, you forget everything out here. It, it, it's, boredom doesn't come into it. The day passes in a twinkle when one's enjoying oneself. There may be occasions when you have uh, anglers out here whom you're, you're boating for who aren't catching or they they realise that maybe it's not the day for them. And yes, well, uh, you see, there's a challenge there, Michael. There's a challenge. That presents a challenge to the boatman. Now, I have had anglers out here and they caught no fish at all. And they went home exceptionally happy people because they enjoyed their days angling Everywhere I brought them, they knew from what I told them and what they saw that there was fish there and it was up to them to catch them. Now, you can bring the angler out, you can show him where the fish are and unless he's able to take them, you won't be able to take them for him, you know. And uh, I've seen them coming in very, very happy people. They just spent the day out here, enjoyed the boating, the exuberance of the wave and boating through it all day on the lake and the fishing and perhaps they'd meet a fish or two, lose one, the big fella usually is lost, <laughs> the one that gets away, you know, and uh, sometimes he may not be very big at all, but in the evening in the pub, he's huge. <laughs> Certain boat man that I knew one time, and he, he used to um, have a few loose stones, pebbles in his pocket, and if the guests were flagging and there was no fish rising, uh, he'd uh, toss a pebble out in the water and say, Oh, sir, fish! And immediately everybody would pick up and start fishing again, re renew the whole uh, their enthusiasm for the game. <laughs> but uh, we don't go to that extreme now here, Michael, no. We don't. <laughs> well, hopefully now we won't have to tell any tales uh, tonight, Frank. It's uh, looking good here at the minute now. I'm waiting just for the water to open any second under my flies here and a big carp trout to take off with them. And how good is the uh, 
Trapped eyesight, I mean, I believe they've got no eyelids. Oh, they so. have excellent eyesight. Anything that's out there, believe you me, they will not miss it. If they want to see it, they'll see it. No matter how small. They have a tunnel, the, the, the trout have tunnel vision. It's like, it's like a funnel up from their head. So the deeper they are in the water, the more they can see on the surface. So for example, my fly is there now, I'm pulling them through the water. And if there's a fish, say seven or eight foot under the water, he, he could, he can see quite a big area above him. And what I'm hoping is that he'll see my flies being pulled across the water a little bit faster than the normal insect would be moving. And that that would be enough to excite him and, and tempt him to come and have a look. And hopefully then when he comes and has a look, he decides that it's for him and he'll have a go. I haven't seen any fish rising yet, Frank. Oh, yeah. Oh, you missed him. Come Just on. as I spoke. Okay, up to the golden olive bumble. Nice little fish, Frank. Yeah. yeah. Oh, one lucky trout. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's the start. That's the first fish we've met now. Yeah. He just, he didn't go, you know, he just broke the surface under the really. At the very last minute. Oh, and there's always the way. Yeah, right near the boat. He didn't play ball at all. We're losing the light here, are we? Oh, it's just lovely now. The light is brilliant yeah, now. Grand at the minute. Connor, are there any musical traditions associated with with the carob and with fly fishing well there are you know a few old ditties that are sung in the pubs and things like that there you know about what uh, phyllis sing when they're singing about their boats here it's very often the queen of connemara they'll <laughs> they sing that song but uh, some of the old boatmen you know they had their own way of going the late jim monaghan now from inchiquin island here Jim was a real character on the lake and uh, when things were going really bad out here Jim would sing to the fish in the hope that uh, he'd bring them up you know and he had a, a particular ditty and it was very easy to remember the words and it went like this Come perchy, come pikey, come trouty to me Come trouty, come perchy, come pikey to me Come pikey, come perchy, come trouty to me, and so on and so forth. So the words were very easy to remember. And he used to tell me he was a firm believer in it, uh, that it worked. So now, Frank, look out. I'm ready, Carl. You're ready. I'm ready now. Yeah. We've sung to them and, and <laughs> hopefully they'll come. The, the role of the boatman has changed a lot, you know, in the last, well, 80, 90, 100 years. Um, like back in the 1900s and the up to the 1920s, 1930s, up to the, up to the war, the First World War, there was no engines. So it would, be, it would be needed for two men to row the boat, like, and one fisherman. At that time, it was usually English anglers that, that fished here mostly and they would hire two boatmen for a day or for a week or whatever 
and they would on the car up here they would usually would come into Uchtarard because the, we had a train service into Uchtarard at that time and they'd be able to come into Uchtarard and, and stay there then for their their week or two weeks and they'd hire two men for the for the period then and the two men actually had to row the boat around the lake and the boats were, were they weren't you know they were big enough boats like they were still the 18 foot wooden boats they were probably narrower but they were still a heavy boat to row in, in a big wind and they might have to row three or four or five miles back home in the evening so it was a tough way to make a living so is there no pleasure in rowing a boat at all huh? Oh, there is. Oh, there's no doubt about it. I get great pleasure out of rowing a boat and the feel of the oars and the bounce of the boat into the wave, you know. It's an exhilarating uh, experience, there's no doubt about it, uh, until you get tired at it if you're going against the wind. It's lovely rowing with the wind. <laughs> and was the, was the boatman expected to provide any, any food or drink or anything? No, no the boatman no, didn't. No. Traditionally, the, um, the guests or the, the establishment who kept the guests they provided the boatman, they set out a packed lunch with the guests and with the boatman. That was tradition in most of the guest houses and hotels who kept uh, the visiting anglers years ago. And uh, they, they, uh, they provided the boatman with his lunch, that was part of the deal. And uh, you might notice uh, there's a box here now in the boat, I'll just uh, show it to you here at Wigeland. I keep that box for the sole purpose of What's inside in it makes me the most splendid tea in the world, I'd say. And that tea is made from uh, the carob water here, boiled in what they call the Kelly kettle tuff. It's a, a, a gadget, a kettle with a hole up through the middle of it. And the uh, when you light it with a bit of paper and some twigs, uh, the flame comes up through the middle of the kettle. And I'll show it to you here now, Michael. Uh, the flame comes right up through the middle of it and uh, it heats the water very quickly so that once you have it lit, within about five minutes, you have a quart of hot boiling water. Lovely carob water for making tea. Here it is now. That's the, uh, the tradition. That one's very old. That one is at least 30 years old, if not older. Mm. Uh, it was an heirloom that was passed on to me by a gentleman who fished this lake for a long number of years. It's, it's, it's quite tall, it's, it's a hollow tin. Yeah, it's, uh, it's, there's a hole up through the centre of it. And I presume that whoever made it originally was probably a stiller. <laughs> yes, because it certainly has to, took the mind of a stiller, possibly an illegal stiller, to make that, that particular kettle, you know, because... It, um, it's absolutely marvellous. There are two layers in it, and the water is contained in between the two layers, and there's a hole, as you can see, right down through it. The water goes in this one, and the flame comes up through the centre of it, with the result that the water is thinly dispersed around inside between the two shins of the, the, the kettle, and any heat at all in the centre then is hitting the, the water. And within five minutes, I guarantee you, Michael, within five minutes of that being lit, you will have thumping, boiling water coming out of it and the most beautiful tea in the world from that and made from the carob water here. It's absolutely fantastic. And I will say that all the guests that come out here, they will tell you that, that they can never get tea anywhere like they get from the boatmen in Loch Carib.
Well, Frank, where's that three pounder? Well, we're expecting. He'll be here now very shortly. I just reckon now another couple of casts. Well, Frank, I give you, you had the lake to yourself there now, but uh, I'm making a comeback here. Well, I wish you the best of time, but the flies are on. I wouldn't fish them. I got this, I got this cast untangled now, Frank, and, and, and uh, you know, is there money on this, Frank, this evening? Oh, there's a lot of money on it, cast. Uh, I'm after rising one there now. Now, don't, don't be trying to unsettle me, Frank. I'm telling you. That's, you know, that's, that's one of the ways of unsettling a fella. He just spoiled at it there now. He didn't go for it. You know, it's like the, the, the lads in the pub one evening that were talking there about two fellas coming off the lake, you see. And Michael, when a fish comes up and you miss him and you don't get him, the fisherman says, I got a rise. I got a rise, you see. But there was two gentlemen talking in the pub there this year in Hedfordon. They were out fishing, you see, and they were as the night was wearing on, they were getting more and more rises. So um, one fellow was telling the other fellow all the rises he got, and the other fellow said, no, he got more rises than him, that he got four rises up at the point of Curnivore, and he only got two rises there. So this old boatman was listening, and he, he, uh, he says to them, tell me, lads, he says, how do you cook them rises? So that finished the conversation. Well, dusk is just falling now over Loch Horrib, Michael, and uh, it's coming into that uh, delicate last half hour, shall we say, of fishing. And this can be a real good time if the fish decide to move at all. Uh, frequently they move just before the dusk and even into the dusk, well into the dusk, uh, into the dark fish will, will take uh, flies off the water but um, to do that we've got to have a hatch now this evening you see hatches this time of year particularly can be very uh, unpredictable and as Frank was telling you yesterday we had uh, a great hatch of olives which is a way out of season you know and um, if we had a hatch of flies here now, something like this hour of the evening, like you have buzzers, green peters, or, you know, something like that, uh, or sedge even. What, what exactly is a hatch? A hatch is when um, a lot of flies, you see, they live down in, underneath the water, down in the bottom as larvae. And whenever they're ready to hatch, they swim up, the larvae rises to the top, of the water and there the fly emerges from the larvae and at that stage the fly is very vulnerable because his wings are wet and he flutters on top of the water just for a second until the breeze dries his wings and then he's gone. Now depending on the weather conditions he may stay on the water for quite some time. If there's a strong breeze blowing he may not be able to get up and that's when the trout really tuck into them when they're vulnerable. In nature, you know, Michael, it seems to be the way that when he's down, kick him. <laughs> so when the trout get a chance at the at the flies, when they're smacked into the water with the breeze, they they gobble them up, you know. Does the sound change as, as darkness comes around? Well, the sound of the lake will change very much with the weather. Uh, sometimes we're out here and that was a, a great tradition among uh, boatmen. They listened very much to the sounds of the lake. 
and they could tell you what tomorrow's weather would be like, judging by the sound of the wave on the shore and the rattle of the wave on the stones, the particular rattle that it brought out of the stones. They used to, they used to judge what uh, the next day's wind would be like or whether the wind was going to change. I often was out with the late Jim Monaghan and he'd say, oh, did you hear that? The shore there? No, I'd say, well, listen, he'd say, do you hear the shore there rattling? Yeah, I'd say, what about it? The wind's going to change, he'd say. And as sure as a foot on a duck, yes, the wind would change. They knew from the sounds what was around them. And of course, the birds and all that, they were all great signs to them as well. They watched the birds and the... Oh, but the sounds in the lake are wonderful out here. You have the curlews on the islands, particularly when they're nesting, they're in and out, feeding their young, and there's activity. The gulls come along then, and gulls are a great uh, beacon for anglers because the gulls here on the lake, they eat the flies. And if we come out on the lake and we want to know where the best hatch of flies is today, we look around and we see where the gulls are. And the gulls will be in the water flying along, scooping up the flies as well, eating them. And uh, that's where we go and that's where the fish are as well. Can we hear something in the distance there? There's an engine, yeah, there's a boat coming away down the lake now from... Yeah, I can see it in just in the dim distance there. It's coming down from Inchigill. Someone's been fishing on Inchigill. Have you seen a rise, Frank? Yeah. Can you cover them? What's happening here? Uh, Frank has seen a, a trout rising, and he's not just directly in front of him. He's to one side, and I'm keeping my head down here to give him a chance to cover the trout with the flies, Michael and hopefully this trout will take him out. That's a trout that rose them. A free-rising trout, you know. Well, again, the, the, the sounds of the lake, you know, the day you can hear the, the, um, the sound of an engine, it's not supposed to be a great day for fishing. Yeah. <laughs> well, so that would mean probably that the atmosphere is low, you know, and that uh, sounds are magnified in that situation that the atmospheric pressure depending on how it is some of the old fishermen used to say here that um, if you heard the sound of the cuckoo or the sound of an engine in the distance it was no good for fishing and i used to hear some of the fishermen saying that uh, and by that they meant that Unless your backside was getting wet on Loch Corrib's, there was no point in being out fishing. So, Michael, that may explain why we have no fish at the minute here in the boat, because we're not getting wet. <laughs> Are these not excuses as well? No? There are also excuses, but the, uh, there's also truth in the excuses. The, 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 the low pressure doesn't help, but it's also handy to have that <laughs> if things aren't going well. <laughs> that boat is... That boat has come down all the way from Inchigil now. Nothing happening, Frank. It's very bad now, Frank. Very, very poor, very yeah. Bad. 
There must be rain on it. Yeah, there is rain I on it. I can see yeah. a big depression coming in there yeah. behind the Connemara Hills. So oh, there is rain on it, yeah. I expect that's what's keeping them down, you know. Yeah. The two fish that came to me there, like, you know, they, they had the notion of taking us. Oh, no, the very just, half-hearted one. Yeah, they? Ah, they were yeah. They just weren't interested, like. The rain is not a, not a good thing. No, well, when the rain is coming in like that, it's bringing in a low again, like, you know. And uh, any kind of, when the conditions are changing, it's bad. You want settled conditions for 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 good fishing. Now that's not saying you won't you won't get fish. You know you can get fish in, in in these conditions too. But the ideal conditions is you know the wind to be steady and and in the one direction, preferably south or southwest, for a couple of days. You know, and nice settled weather. And, and that that is the ultimate. You know that's what that's what we look for. That's they're the conditions we would be wishing for. Well, you've, you've always been a boatman, what was your...? Yes, I um, started off in, in Donegal as, a, as a, a child. I fished the rivers and lakes in my native Donegal, and I moved to uh, County Galway. Well, I boated on La Fern, my, my home lake in Donegal, which is near Kilmacrennan. In my youth, I learned boating there, and subsequently I have boated uh, in Corrucks off the west coast here, and I've boated uh, on Galway Bay quite a bit and I've been, as I say, since 1963 I've been coming here to Loch Harab. You've, you've had another profession? Or? Oh, yes. I was, I was in the Garda for 37 years, so that brought me around quite a bit and I saw a lot of um, the west of Ireland here and you've I been invariably ended up in some of the uh, nicest fishing and boating spots in it. And you used to catch in slippery characters. Oh, very used to catch slippery characters. <laughs> they're down there on the bottom, and they're, they're certainly not uh, not coming up. Despite our best overtures, uh, the carp trout are saying no thank you at the minute. But like that, as you can see yourself, uh, we're out here now for a couple of hours, Michael, and we've thoroughly enjoyed ourselves. We've enjoyed the boating and the beautiful scenery and uh, the lake. And we've seen a few fish. And uh, a lot of the time here to us anglers, it, it doesn't make a difference whether we get a fish or not for the day out here. We enjoy it so much that a fish is really a bonus. I'm looking too good now, is it? <laughs> Looking terrible. <laughs> good recordings of the last trip pulling in fish, but uh, <laughs> we could do we, this. We, <laughs> we, we could, that wouldn't be ethical. <laughs> that was quite realistic, there, Frank. Oh yeah, you could do that. No problem at all. You could make you could uh, that's that six pounder there, like <laughs> you know. And this is a towelette. <laughs> Tell me what size you want to know. <laughs> four pounder there. Oh yeah, the four pounder be oh <laughs> Frank, we're not gonna do it. No. No. Night is closing in and I think it's time we left the fish to their own devices for the night, Frank. I think so, no, Tom. They've had one up on us this evening here, but we have uh, a journey home. We have a journey to do home and I think it's time we uh, Reeled in and went back. 
Well, thank you very much, gentlemen, for a oh, very pleasant. You get home anymore? A very pleasant evening. I think you're the jinx. <laughs> I've heard a lot of excuses today, but that's that's it. That's the worst. <laughs> we would have caught fish. <laughs> well, we're coming right into the harbour here at uh, Greenfields now, and uh, it's a nice setting with the the lights on and night coming down. Lovely, peaceful, tranquil setting. There are a few anglers in here ahead of us mooring their boats that have been on the lake during the day and I'd say safely say we're the last boat in, you know. Any luck? No. Two. Good. See the fellow, your man will more be dick got some nice fish today, boy. Did he? Oh lovely. I got two nice ones, the last Good. We out all day. the sounds of boating and of the lake. Yeah, they're very unique. Well, in a couple of weeks time, it'll be all over for us. We'll be pulling the boats home and we won't be out here again until the middle of February, if we're alive and well. Please God. That's it, the end of a perfect evening. Are you going out again tomorrow, Frank? Um, no, I'm not up tomorrow. I'm out Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday and Tuesday. Ah. <laughs> so I have a few busy days ahead of me. It's a busy week. Yeah, and from now until oh, yes, the, season, it's the end of the season. Well, thank you very much, Frank, indeed, for, well, your, for, for the lend of your rod there. No problem. Having left my own at, back at base. Are you disappointed we didn't catch? I'm not really, Michael, you know. We had a lovely evening boating and uh, the good company and uh, telling the yarns and you know, that every, each cast you saw in the water, you're there in anticipation that that uh, this is going to be it. The okay. next cast and the next cast. And it goes on like that. And the hours just fly by. Come trouty, come perchy, come pikey to me. Come pikey, come perchy, come trouty to me. And so on and so forth. If you enjoyed this documentary, you might like to listen to our other Documentary on One productions. Visit rte.ie forward slash doc on one.